Welcome to the High Performance Business Solutions Podcast. This is Paul De La Garza, your host and coach. Join me in discovering the journey to become a better leader, a better sales professional, to take charge of your life with intention and vision, recognizing that within you lies the power to achieve and to live to the fullest. Today, we're very fortunate. We have one of the pillars of leadership training in the industry, Ms. Annie Hyman Pratt. Ms. Pratt is the master at developing leaders and team that drive rapid and sustainable results so that entrepreneurs can work on their business strategy and vision and have time, freedom, and impact that they desire. Annie took her family business and increased it tenfold. I'm speaking specifically of the coffee bean and tea leaf, taking it from seven domestic mom and pop shops to an international brand of 70 plus stores in seven years, leading the company through a highly successful sale. She has since spent the next two decades as the top tier business consultant specializing in rapid growth and change, working with 30 companies, guiding them through every challenging growth stage imaginable. Her track record stems from her unique approach to business strategy, structure, systems, finance, and of course, the missing link of behavior that brings it all together. It is my pleasure to welcome Ms. Annie Hyman Pratt. Thank you, Annie, for joining us today. Yeah, it's my pleasure to be here. Can you tell us a little bit about your background as an entrepreneur and what was the critical component of your success in your coffee business? Yeah, gladly. So my background as an entrepreneur, it's actually kind of interesting because I didn't really start my career as an entrepreneur. My family was very entrepreneurial. My parents started the coffee bean and tea leaf in the 60s, um, back when it was really just selling pounds of coffee beans and pounds of tea. And it wasn't until the 90s that there was kind of a big beverage revolution, so to speak. But they were the entrepreneurs and I was the kid in the family. I'm one of five kids and I was the kid in the family that had a good propensity for numbers and really enjoyed business. So I started my career actually in finance. Wow. Little did uh, they know that you were going to take it to the levels that you did. Yeah, that's right. And I came back to my family business when my dad ran into uh, health challenges and needed to retire. And so then I came to the family business sort of at the, you know, great timing at the beginning of the 90s when this beverage revolution was happening. And I think what um, turned me into more of an entrepreneur is that when I came back to the business, it was kind of becoming a brand new business. And I had the luxury of having a base where my parents were one of the first people in gourmet coffee. But then this beverage revolution was happening, and so I got to grow that, that part of the business, which really took over our business, and um, was a, just really a great time. I got to deploy not only my finance, all kinds of strong finance skills, but I got to do the leadership and the people part, which I enjoyed the most. Really? So that's where it could be said you started your first leadership position. Is that correct? Yes. Yes, wow. exactly. My first leadership position was in my family business. Great. Okay, yeah. so while we're, on the, while we're on the subject, and of course the whole subject of today's podcast is leadership. So tell us, how do you define leadership? You, you talk about team-driven 
growth. So I don't want to get ahead of myself yeah. by presenting that to you, but I would be very interested in how you first started. What was the, the, the evolution of your leadership and how you see leadership today? Yeah. So um, I, yeah. So let me start with how uh, my, my own evolution. So when I started in um, business and being the first, the general manager, and then very quickly, the CEO of the coffee bean, I really didn't have a clue how leadership really worked. And I felt like and took it on very much as it's my responsibility to get the results. And because of that, I became a pretty controlling, um, highly critical leader. Like I felt that my way was likely the best way that nobody uh, on the <laughs> team had as much you know, of their life or commitment or investment in the business as I did. Um, I was a plenty smart cookie, so I definitely trusted my own judgment, not so much the judgment of other people. And that actually led to one of my biggest failures in my career in business, where I almost lost my kind of my whole senior team. Wow. Yeah, kind of in, in one fell swoop because I became the kind of leader that people didn't really want to work with. So what was the big aha there? Yeah, the big aha was when my CFO basically called me a bitch in an ivory tower. <laughs> and, and because I really wasn't <laughs> listening, yeah, I wasn't listening to my team, especially my, my regional managers, my, uh, my managers that were between the stores and me. And they were so key, these managers, because they were bringing on all the new store managers. They were making sure the stores didn't fall apart during our super rapid growth. They were the ones that were closest to the customer and had all the good ideas for what to do differently. Interesting. But, yeah, but I was, you know, again, I was really young and um, I was really focused on the growth and the financial aspects because that's where I came from. Sure. And, um, and because of that, I, you know, I thought I knew better on a lot of things until one day my CFO came to me and said, hey, these regional managers are on the verge of quitting and I, you know, because they have to keep track of too many stores. They're not getting to spend the time developing the, their own team. And I gave her some kind of, you know, some answer that made sense to me. But basically I said, we can't afford it. Like we have to put the money into building the stores and those regional managers can handle it just fine. And that's when she, you know, that's when she told me what she thought about me at that moment. And I, and I, you know, if I could have spoken, I would have fired her on the spot, but luckily I didn't and had time to kind of come down and give it a little thought. And the next day I actually did have um, two of my regional managers who quit and took a couple of my good managers with them. Wow. And that starts a big domino. You know, when you're growing and you're, then you're really short on, on good people, it's, um, it's terrible. It's a crisis. You know, what I find fascinating is considering that you right now are recognized as one of the top leadership consultants in the nation, that you have this frame of reference of this yes. failure, so to speak, that really was the perhaps, and I'm getting ahead of myself, the catalyst for you to begin what now is probably the centerpiece of your entire value proposition as a leader, which is to exactly. have a team that you focus on. You know, it's interesting. I, I was very fortunate to see your presentation in Dallas in a recent uh, seminar that Jeff Walker hosted. And yeah. you talk about the people that quit, the good people quit and leave, but the less than good people quit in place. 
Yes. Can you talk a little bit about that? Because I thought that was fascinating. And I want you to know, being a coach myself, I've used that since. So I sort of stole that from you. Yeah, yeah. Oh, please do. Yeah. This, the, um, yeah, it's very true. It's, you know, one of the things about um, really great leadership or good leadership is that you are supporting your team so that the best people want to stay. And what we don't realize is that the really good people have a lot of options. Like they're not stuck in, in a single job, but the people that are less talented, less capable, they, um, they don't have a lot of other options. And they often, uh, when they you know, don't um, like working where they're working or where they can't really be productive and successful, they literally just quit in place. They literally, you know, come to their job every day as just a place to gain a paycheck. And when they're doing that, they're not, you know, thinking about how do I do a better job here? How do I help us and the whole team reach the outcomes? Yeah. yeah. And that's, you know, and that's really the, the one of my um, greatest learnings at Coffee Bean was that I, because we could go, because we went into crisis so easily, maybe I'll say it that way. Um, I had to learn very quickly that I am not the center of the wheel. It's like we have to have a really strong team that the whole team is, is so to speak, the center of the wheel or the whole wheel. Because otherwise, one small breakdown and it all breaks down. Yeah. Allow me to develop that, that point because I think that you've made an extraordinarily important point. I, I cannot tell you the number of people that I have actually coached on the, in the leadership area think that they are the chief know-it-alls, and in some cases, the chief do-it-alls. And clearly what you're telling us is that that is hardly the case. So yeah. what are the personal qualities, knowing that the experience that you had with your business uh, has been an incredibly uh, important point of departure for you, what are the key things that you would tell our listeners who are in leadership positions that are the most important qualities that they must have to be an effective leader. Yeah. Um, yeah. And let me start with the, my definition of leadership, which is, you know, leadership is basically um, directing, influencing, and supporting yourself and others to take effective action towards outcomes, right? Towards desired outcomes. Love it. Can you, can you say that one more time? I want, I want these people who are listening to this podcast to really, really digest that because that's a very important part of the message. Yes. Yes. Thank you. Gladly. So yeah, leadership is to direct, to influence and to support, right? So it's not to control. It's not to use your authority at every turn. It's not to do everything, but it's basically to direct influence and support others and yourself to in taking effective action, right? That's what leadership is all about is um, helping other. The end result of great leadership is that the whole team takes effective action towards the outcomes you're going for. The point of business is to generate outcomes, all kinds of outcomes, um, impact outcomes, transformation for your customer outcomes, financial outcomes for you and your team, right? All of those um, desired outcomes of why you're in business in the first place. And that should be the main focus for a team. So that needs to be the main focus for leadership and doing whatever, you know, doing the things that are necessary to enable the whole team and yourself to move towards those results. Wow. Huge. 
Huge. So when you say direct, can you be a little bit more specific in terms of what that means? Because sometimes people get to a point that they start directing and they stop listening to their team. Yeah, exactly. To direct is, is it's like, it's those three together. So to direct means it's much more about setting a clear outcome, like really being clear and helping the whole team get clarity on what we're really going for, what the path is going to be to get there. So one of a leader's um, jobs or roles is to know a little bit more about that path so they can help bring the team back to it when they fall off the path. So it's, it's, it's so much less about directing, meaning giving orders. It's more like making sure we all have clear direction. It's like we want, we, we can't abdicate that part because the higher up you are in the leadership structure, let's say, the more your role is going to be a lot about taking those results and translating them into language, into breaking it down in a way that people can understand, that they can act on. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes perfect sense. So was, would this yeah. be part of one of the things that you outline is the mindset, structure, and behavior component of your leadership approach? Yes. So this will be part of the mindset, I'm assuming. Yes, part of the mindset. And um, which basically, you know, that leadership definition is sort of mindset number one. Because one of the biggest mindsets here is, you know, when people talk about mindset, they're mostly thinking positive mindset, like have a, you know, have very positive thinking. Now, that's important too. I'm not saying that's not important. But the mindset that I think is most important is that one about the definition of leadership and the understanding that we're all coming together to generate outcomes. I, I think of um, uh, a business very much as a, as a sport, right? It's like business is closest to, uh, you know, uh, having a pro basketball team or some kind of pro sports team or performance um, company or whatnot. Meaning like, you know, if you're, if, if uh, how operas, run, how um, doing a stage musical would, um, would happen, a very excellent one. And so the mindset of that is all about what are we really going for and how are we going to get there? And all of us play an important role in getting there. So that's the, that's the, the mindset piece is that you're, you know, it's not, you're not the center of the universe in the business, the outcomes are. What are we really going for here? James McGregor Burns, who is one of the authorities that has been identified with leadership, talks about leadership and says, leadership is not about power, it's about a process. Do you agree with that? Uh, yes, I, um, but I think it's about a process and a couple other things too, right? It's like a process to get the clear outcomes, but some of that process is going to also involve behavior. Right, so I'll come back to sort of my, um, my three parts of mindset, structure, and behavior. Yes, please do. Yeah, so, so the mindset is, again, is sort of like what we're going for and the fact that we're all human and we have to work towards it. Humans have their flaws. Um, we, you know, which is, again, why I love making sports analogies because, you know, even professional sports players make mistakes. Even they, uh, yeah, you know, they lose some games. <laughs> that's an understatement. 
Yes, exactly. So, you know, but they can still be the most um, excellent teams, you know, are not 100% excellent 100% of the time. Business is very much like that. So that mindset is, is important in knowing what we're going for. The structure pieces, those are structure, systems, process. They're the things that give our businesses shape. So we don't have to rethink and refigure out. We don't have to reinvent the wheel every five minutes, right? It's like, again, think of a sports game. It has clear rules. It has boundaries for how you operate. It has some process built right in. So we're right? talking about sort of standards of performance. Yes. And even like rules of the game, like how it works. Mm -hmm. Right? Like in, in baseball, you have to, you know, switch every inning. You can't decide not to, to give up the, um, the field to your, to your opponent. That's not possible. Right. Right. <laughs> so there are some structural things that are going to be super important because they, they sort of define the field, so to speak. But always with the desired outcome in mind. Exactly. Always with the desired outcome in mind. Okay. Right. So you'll, You'll, um, you'll structure your team on, on the court, on a basketball court, by position based on what um, you think each player is going to play in the best position to win the game. Right, right. Classic Excellent. structure. Yeah. And then the last piece, though, is the behavior piece. And that's the piece that is most misunderstood in business. It's pretty well understood in any kind of sport or performance art. Um, but it's very misunderstood in business. How so? And because we tend to think of business as as long as people are good people and they have skill, meaning they can read and write and they can do their job, that that is all the behavior they need. Lately, when we talk about behavior, we also talk a lot about in the corporate world or in, this, um, yeah, in the consulting world, is um, we talk about culture. But people tend to think of culture as values, how the team, you know, demonstrates values in, in day in and day out. And I want to tell you, it's not really that because we, we all aspire to demonstrate our values. You know, there's not a person on the planet that doesn't have good values. They may be different than yours, but still good values. What we need to be able to do is behave in a certain way while we're doing business that really doesn't have to do with our values, but it has a lot more to do with how we operate under stress. What are we able to do when, you know, how many skills can we deploy all at once um, when we're under some stress, when we're in a situation mm -hmm. that's mm -hmm. not really about our values at all. Right. And, you know, and I'll give a quick example. I please, analogy I make all the time for agreements, okay? Agreements is a classic behavior, um, an interactive behavior, set of behaviors that involves more than one person, okay? So that, and we tend to think of agreements as either you're in integrity or you're out of integrity, meaning, you know, that you either make good agreements or you make bad agreements or you break agreements, right? Making bad agreements or breaking agreements is sort of chalked up to, well, they must not have the value of integrity. Mm -hmm. And that's, and 99% of the time, that's not it. Because it's like, it's a ton of behaviors needing to demonstrate in all kinds of different circumstances. 
I think of the behaviors very much um, analogous to a basketball pass. A pass. Okay. Really, you know, um, really simple to do when no one's on the court. But think about all the skills that are involved. You have two people. One person, the first person has to know where they are on the court, who's open, where the opposite team really is. They have to pass the ball with good skill so the other side doesn't steal it, so that their teammate can actually catch it. Then when their teammate has to have enough skill to catch it, and then the teammate has to know where, you know, what the next play is supposed to be, who else is open, what he's supposed to do next with the ball, should he dribble and run and try to shoot, should he pass it again. All that's a lot of thinking and acting in split seconds. Mm-hmm. Make mm-hmm. sense? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. And then let's think about that's pretty easy to do if you have a super, you know, easy team that you're playing against. Um, or if there's, you know, kind of not even anybody on the court. But let's say you're playing against a really tough opponent and it's three and a half quarters in where now you're exhausted. And you had a player out, your best player out on injury. It's like, then how easy is it, it, is it to pass? It's not that easy. You'll make a lot more errors in passing. Make sense? It does. So let, let, me, let me interject this quick question. So are you saying that leadership is situational? Absolutely, 100%. And I'm Good. also saying you that- You develop that. <laughs> say it again? Oh, did you? Yeah. Awesome. It is very much situational, very much. And, it, and it, it, it involves a lot of competencies that have to be demonstrated together. So it's like to make good agreements, you got to be able to think clearly on the spot. You have to know what else is on your plate, how it all fits together. You have to know like where you're injured, so to speak right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Where you're low on players or resources. You have to know how to recover when a pass goes badly, when an agreement breaks down, maybe because of somebody's mistake, maybe not. Maybe your opponent came in with an incredibly talented steal. Now you can't just stand there and tell, you know, and tell the guy who was trying to pass it to you that you blew it. <laughs> yeah. You got to do the next thing and work on recovering that. But you know what's interesting about what you're saying, Annie, is this that I I have dealt with a number of leaders that in in, in no disrespect to the leaders, but these are these are people that have ascended to the ranks, through the ranks. Yes. And more often than not, they have not been given the necessary support and education or training to help them negotiate the responsibilities yes. for which they are accountable. Yes. What continues to happen is that they do not change the behaviors toward the new position. They continue to do what they were doing prior. So I'll give you an example. I have a number of uh, clients that do what I call in nautical terms, they spend way too much time in the engine room, so to speak. Yes. Because they cannot get away from, and I'm going to, there's a question for you here at the end of this. They cannot get away from what they think is A, the definition of their position and B, what validates them. Right. So what, what advice do you have for an individual who has just risen to a, say, C-level kind of position or a assistant vice president or vice president position with a fairly high 
level of responsibility and to what yeah. degree does this person has to have an element of change? What are the behaviors that you would recommend for these individuals to embrace? Yeah, that's a great question. Yeah, really great question. I think I have kind of two big things in that area. So the first is that I want all these rising leaders to have a ton of awareness for what, how they behave under stress what they do, what their natural default mode is when they start to experience stress or uncertainty or extra pressure or lack of confidence, when they're experiencing that, for most of us humans on the planet, we tend to revert to what we were successful at. So, um, so if you promote someone and they were very successful at keeping projects on track, at um, uh, keeping people moving and finding errors in a, in, a, in a process, if that was what they were super competent at, then they need to be aware that the second they feel some stress, they're going to go back to that. Even though they've been promoted to a a role that's much more about the bigger picture. Right, exactly. Yes, and so I totally get your engine room um, metaphor because that's very true. It's like, I know how to be in the engine room. And so if I lose my confidence at the overview, I will go back to the engine room because that's where I know how to be successful. And you hit it right on the money, Annie. Uh, a lot of people just simply don't feel that their value as a now newly appointed either C-level or senior right. vice president, or for that matter, even in a, a regional position, yes, that their value is got to be limited to doing what they were doing before, but doing it allegedly better. When in exactly. reality, what they need to be doing is empowering that team and engaging yes. through the mindset of focusing on the outcomes and the structure yeah. that you described, which is just as powerful, mindset, yeah. structure, behavior. Folks, please take note of these three things, mindset, structure, behavior, critical component. Yes, yes they are, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's just so, it's so interesting, right? So one is to be aware where you're likely to revert under stress. And then the second thing is, you got to start really getting clear about what your new role is and how to look forward in it. It's like, what mindset do I need to hold now given my new responsibilities? And to really articulate those because without having it articulated, what you're really going for, how you're going to need to hold it, how you're going to need to approach it, Without defining that for yourself, it's very hard to hang on to what you should be doing to give it a try as soon as, you know, as soon as anything difficult hits. Yeah. And then along with that is, um, is really finding or developing your support structure. So when you start to revert to default mode, when you start to go back to old habits, when you are uncertain really how to move forward, you're feeling that resistance or that tension that you have a support system you can enact 
to keep yourself moving forward. And that can be a mentor. It can be grabbing a few team members together. It literally can be your executive team meeting. That's one of the best things to do in a, in a, you know, in a leadership or an executive meeting is really talk about the barriers or the um, challenges you're having in your own role for moving it forward. But you know what, what you say is, is spot on, yet the reality is that many of these, these leaders yeah. are put in positions and they literally have no support. Right. They are not given the, shall we say, uh, either the knowledge or facilitated the education or coaching to yes. achieve the objective. So from your perspective, and I would imagine that's one of the things that keeps you employed. Yes. Uh, but from your perspective, if we have an individual that reaches a position of senior leadership and they do not have that yeah. other than just simply expectations, and more often than not, Annie, you probably have bumped into this, an unstated mission is one of the common problems of senior leadership. Oh, sure. But uh, how, how does one deal with that? What, what uh, recommendations do you have for somebody who is just being put into position and say, make it happen? Yeah. Oh my gosh. I know. And it's such a challenge. I'm not, I'm not so sure that we have enough time for you to go through the whole thing, but if you can sure, just sure. give it broad strokes. Yeah, I can give it a couple broad strokes. Yeah. Kind of, I, I guess two things. What you can do internally is even if you don't have the clarity for what you're going for, it's like you're going to have to play a greater role in gaining that clarity. And the way I um, often guide leaders to do that is to have them say incredibly often what they intend to do and why. Because then if they're going in the wrong direction, somebody will jump in and say, wait, no, I don't think that's what we're supposed to be doing or you're supposed to be doing. I don't see how that's going to fit with this other part. I thought we were going for, you know, Y, not X. But if you don't say anything, that discussion doesn't even have a chance to come up. Everybody goes in their own directions and it winds up a mess. You know, it's interesting you should say that because one of the things that I tell my clients, because I've done this personally, I've been in senior positions a good portion of my life, my career. Yeah. Within the span of the first three days when I get appointed to a senior position, I'll go to my president or my senior vice president and say, I need to ask you a very important question. What is the measure of your success? Excuse me. What is the measure of my success in your eyes? Yeah. What does the mission look like and how am I going to facilitate the success of this unit, of this company, and of yes. you? And that has been of use to me. It has been very uh, clarifying, if you will. As a matter of fact, it has helped me with the structural aspect because that's when we yes. start really focusing on well, these are our outcomes. This is our mission. It's, okay, great. And then I begin a process of going back and forth with that individual leader to manage upward as per se and say, okay, so if I hear you correctly, what you want me to do is A, B, C, and D. Yes. Would that, would that be a successful behavior in your eyes from me? So, yes. If you can do that, you've hit yeah. the ball out of the park. Absolutely. If you can do that on day one and keep it going, because it's like, yes, great point. You know, in any time there's any kind of question, anytime there's any kind of change in the business or in the plans, you sort of have to reaffirm this is, you know, given this change, I think I'm still going for this. Is this still on track? 
awesome. Yeah, I think the, the way and the way you've stated it is, is uh, perfect. Thank great. Annie, we could speak for another five hours and I suspect that our listeners would be glued because you are incredibly interesting and you've got so much to share. Thank you. I want you to know how much I appreciate it and how much High Performance Business Solutions appreciates your time today. I hope that if in the near future your time permits that we can invite you back so that we can talk about a couple of other things more in depth. Yeah, absolutely. But uh, I cannot tell you how, how interesting this is. I believe that you have driven some very specific points, mindset, structure, behavior, critical things in the component of leadership. Would you do me a favor and just sort of wrap up and give me a summary of what message would you have for these listeners who are in leadership positions that may be enable, enabling them to gain greater focus on what they're doing as leaders? Yeah. You know, probably my, my, my biggest piece of advice is to, again, just be clear and work on clear, having clarifying it for yourself, like taking steps to get clarified those outcomes, like what they really look like, what's the purpose behind them. You know, it's kind of the, the, it's another way of saying being clear about the mission, being clear about what it looks like when you've accomplished the mission, right? But that is, it is incredibly important. And, and getting clear on how that breaks down to your part, where you have the responsibility in, in achieving, you know, that, those outcomes or that mission. And then with that, then the, the kind of second piece of, of, of advice I'd have, being aware of your own behaviors and how you interact with people, because that makes much more of a difference than people might imagine. And one of the best ways to do that is really work on how you make agreements. Kind of talked about the analogy part, but agreement making is a giant skill in leadership. It's a giant leadership skill. Tell us again what you mean by agreements. Before we go, I want, I want these folks that are listening to, if they get nothing out of this podcast, I want them to get that. Yes, exactly. The ones that are most obvious are agreements where you're negotiating who's going to do what, what kind of resources you're going to get, the timeline, the outcome, right? All of that with, with either um, a group of people or with just one other person. So it's like what my responsibilities are, and I've agreed on them. I've had a chance to weigh in to negotiate. That's one form of agreements. But another form is any commitment you're making, whether it's your role, um, whether it's an expectation you're supposed to meet, right? Or if you're setting expectations for somebody else, we might think of it as a one-way order, but it's not. It's always an agreement. It's like, can I really do this? Can, is there going to be some obstacle in the way where I can't? And so when you're doing any, when you're making any kind of commitment, negotiating any kind of, um, yeah, agreement, outcome, any of that, you got to be really aware of your part and showing up in a way that you can negotiate well. That's and, huge. And with that, and with that, delegation is one of the biggest forms of making an agreement, right? Delegation. It's like, again, we might think of it as giving orders, but it's not. Because the other side, the person you're delegating to, it's like they really have to commit and agree to take it on. So um, it's often very understood how to delegate well. It is a two-way process, not one, because you've got to be aware of your part in a delegation. 
And so I have, I think your listeners are going to be able to receive a, a delegation resource. I have a delegation and what I call reverse delegation script so that it's very easy to know exactly, you know, the components that you need in a delegation. That's great. That's great. Yeah. If uh, they wanted to, if they wanted to gain more information about your services. Yes. Please come to my website, impactentrepreneur.com. So I am P-A-Q and then the word entrepreneur.com. And let me tell you folks, uh, I've been in this, this site a number of times. The site in of itself, if you read it, you'll learn. So Annie Hyman Pratt, thank you so much. You are a blessing to us all with all your wonderful information. I can guarantee you that a number of people listening today are going to apply some of these things and they will be better for it. Thank you so much. Please, please honor us with your presence in the future. I thank you for your time. Ladies and gentlemen, this concludes our podcast for the High Performance Business Solutions. This is Paul DeLaGarza signing off. Take care and be well.